Giants, what I'm about. And what I'm about is an old school physical mentality. Okay? We're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city or region will be proud of. Because this team will represent this area. We'll play fast, we'll play downhill, we'll play aggressive. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes, we'll play every play like it's a history and a life of its own with a relentless competitive attitude. Welcome back, folks. The story of the 2002 New York football giants here tonight. Well, hello. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, and our other host here, Hank and Dichter. Hank, happy belated birthday. I know you celebrated a birthday yesterday. And once again, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom, and uh, appreciate the birthday love. It feels great being 24. Of course, of course. And what a way to celebrate. Uh, tonight with the story of the 2002 New York football Giants. Uh, guys watching on Facebook Live, feel free to spread the love, spread out, uh, share our podcast with your friends. Uh, I know we shared it in the Sports Lounge, the Three Man Weave, and the Sports Group. This is a dark episode on Review and Preview Sports. Give us a follow there on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at Review and Preview. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Anchor at anchor.fm slash review and preview. And our weekly show of review and preview will return Wednesday night, July 22nd at 8 p.m. So, folks, calling all sports fans here tonight, all New York Giants fans, all NFL fans, and all sports fans in general, you guys are going to love this one. We have a lot in store for you. I'm ready to rock, Hank. Are you? Heck yeah, I am. So let's talk about these 2002 New York Giants. I know we had the little hell's bells there going, uh, that mantra there early on. And, you know, one thing I really liked about this New York football Giants team was the fact that they defied a lot of odds in making the playoffs. They had a 10-6 and six season. Uh, they were coming off a uh, 7-9-2001 campaign. But remember, this Giants team was just two years removed from their Super Bowl appearance back in 2000 against the Baltimore Ravens, Hank. Now, 2002, it was primed to be a rebuilding year with several new faces on this team, uh, despite only losing three starters on offense and three on defense. But, Hank, uh, the Giants really defy the odds in this 2002 season, getting a wild card spot. Yeah, I would say, Kevin, and given the circumstances this year where they had some significant injuries, I think. There, there were a lot of obstacles the Giants had in their way on their run to the playoffs. But yet, unfortunately, it, it just ended in a really bad way. And despite all the good things that happened, I still can't help but feel a little bit of what ifs with regards to this Giants team. I don't know about you. Hence the term unfinished business, Hank. Exactly. That's, that's the theme in this episode, unfinished business. And, you know, I'm going to say one thing. That's what the Giants had in this season. Um, obviously we know there were some key departures for this team. The Giants lost three starting offensive linemen, starting with Lomas Brown, who was the left tackle who played for the Giants only for two years. They also lost left guard Glenn Parker to retirement. And then they lost their Pro Bowl right guard and Ron Stone. So there's three offensive linemen right there, Hank. 
And they also lost wide receiver Joe Juravicious. They lost defensive back Sam Garns. And most importantly, I think the most devastating blow was losing linebacker Jesse Armstead to the Washington Redskins. Yeah, Jesse Armstead was one of the key leaders of that defense for pretty much most of the 90s and even into that Super Bowl run of 2000s. And the fact that he had to go to a division rival in Washington, I think that was really a big blow for sure. And as I said in my last episode, in our last episode, and, and you pretty much agreed with me too, Jesse Armstead is definitely one of the more underrated giants in franchise history. 100%. I definitely agree. And this guy flies under the radar. Uh, speaking of Armstead, Hank, I think you have his reverse numbers on. You're donning 89 tonight. Is that Mark Bavaro? Yes, sir. Very nice. My all-time favorite Giants. Yeah. (laughs) The tight end out of Notre Dame. I'm one under you. 88, Ike Hilliard. (laughs) We'll talk about him in just a little bit. But, um, you know, I've got to say, not only did they lose three offensive linemen, the offensive line had a lot of questions. They had four new starters on the offensive line. A line, though, that only allowed 24 sacks the entire season. And fun fact, let's talk about these key departures. Guys like Lomas Brown and Joe Dravicious both went to Tampa Bay, who ironically enough, they won the Super Bowl that year in 2002. Jesse Armstead went to division rival Washington Redskins. Sam Garns, the safety, went to interstate rival in the New York Jets. And then the oddest one of all, Ron Stone goes to the San Francisco 49ers, a, a team who isn't in the Giants division, but historically these two teams have a very, very huge rivalry that we will talk about a lot on tonight's show. Um, But Hank, obviously just a couple of more keynotes to fill everyone in, give a little background on this team before we jump into the meat and potatoes. Uh, So the Giants started three and four, right? This was not, this was not a great start to the season. Then that Giants head coach, Jim Fossil, who I'll get a picture of him up here in just a moment. There he is, Jim Fossil on the headset. He uh, stripped Sean Payton's play calling duties, the offensive coordinator, uh, the offensive coordinator. And yes, that is the Sean Payton, the Super Bowl winning head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Uh, He used to be the Giants OC. There he is with quarterback Kerry Collins. Yes. uh, Who we'll get into in just a few moments. Um, So, Hank, after starting three and four, this Giants team finished strong their last nine games. They went seven and two, which I thought was pretty re- uh, remarkable considering that tough division they were in. Because obviously the Redskins were good back then too. Uh, the last ten games, when they stripped Peyton of the play calling duties, the Giants' offense averaged twenty-seven points in their last ten games. But this was also a team in two thousand two that had a bad knack for committing turnovers, twenty-seven throughout the entire two thousand two season. Yeah, and then there was also the problem with the penalties too. I think oh, I think given the fact that they've lost a lot of close games, if they had limited the turnovers and the penalties, I really think this there probably could have been a much different ending to the story than what happened, but I think we'll probably get into that much later as we dive into what happened over the course of the season. I definitely agree. I think it was an interesting story and I'll get um I'll get the little logo up here so you can see what we mean. Um you know, Hank, I, I've, I've got to say, uh, the Giants are sitting there 6-6, six and six, right? Week 14 is coming up. The Giants have three divisional games left on their schedule in Peyton Manning, right? 
And then yeah. the Giants, six and six, one more loss, and they're pretty much virtually out. Not like officially out, but virtually. Right. Uh, and then they run the tables. They win four games in December, and this was a Giants team. They finished five and three at home, five and three on the road, and oddly enough, they were five and one in the NFC East. For a team that went ten and six, half their wins came in their own division. And Hank, tell me if you agree with this. I think part of the reason what made the Giants so successful in this season was their divisional success. They beat a lot of teams that they were familiar with, and they did get lucky because they did play backup quarterbacks a couple of times. Yes, beating divisional rivals in season can always be a very big game changer when going to the playoffs. And and the all and I think the real big example of facing backup quarterbacks where they got lucky came against the Eagles in week 17 because by that point they had AJ Feely because actually AJ Feely, I forgot to mention earlier. I don't even think he was the second string. I think he was the third string because I think they had another guy. It might've been Ty Detmer who got hurt, but nonetheless, they had to play him week 17 because Donovan McNabb, you may remember he had that big game against the Cardinals where he was playing the second half on like what everyone thought was a sprained ankle, but it turned out to be broken. And he was done for the rest of the regular season until the playoffs. And if they had started Donovan McNabb in week 17, who knows if they end up going to the playoffs. But we'll get to that later again. You bring up a really good point there, Hank. Um, Donovan McNabb, obviously the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll get into him in a little bit too. So this was a season. The Giants clinched a five seed, right? They beat the Eagles the last week of the season. They go 10-6. and six, And then a playoff run that unfortunately ended in round one with a crushing loss to the San Francisco 49ers where they blew the 25-point lead, infamously known as the meltdown in San Francisco. Uh, Definitely a tough blow to end the season, but we cannot let that shed any light to what this season was for the franchise, Hank. And Mm -hmm. let's now get into the head coaches of this team, or the coaches of this team. First, the head coach, Jim Fossil, who entered his sixth NFL season as a head coach in 2002. This was sort of the beginning of the end for Jim Fossil. Uh, Obviously a hot start head coach who was coined the term Mr. December. He couldn't lose in December. Uh, 23 and five in December after the 2002 season in total. Uh, And then you had Sean Payton who was in his last season as the Giants OC. And then The defensive coordinator was Johnny Lynn, who is historically known as a defensive backs coach. I believe the Giants were only his his actual only defensive coordinator position. That's the highest he ever got. And ironically enough, he was a player for the Jets back in the 80s. And he was the Giants DBs coach from 97 to 01, got that promotion. It's the only time he was ever a DC in the NFL. So I found that very interesting as well. Um. But now that we've spoken enough about, you know, the facts on this team, let's get on to the key players, right? Right. First key player is a player you and I both love, one of the most criminally underrated New York Giants of all time, under center, the quarterback, number five, Kerry Collins. Hank, I'll let you break this one down. Yeah, Kerry Collins that year pretty much set the franchise record for most passing yards in a season with 4,073. Of course, that record has since been broken by a certain guy who wore a number t- that was twice his and one of my personal favorite Giants, but we'll talk about it in another episode. And he also completed 61% of his passes, and he was a big reason why the Giants were six in passes. 
And our next guy that we want to talk about, another big one. Actually, there's another thing I want to mention. He started all 16 games just like he did in 2002. In 2000, rather. And anyways, our next guy would be probably one of the bigger guys on that team. At that point, it was his best season. He was only going to get better from here on in. That would be number 21, Tiki Barber. Tom, I'll let you take the floor on this one. Well, and one other thing I want to say about Kerry Collins. This was, in my opinion, this was his best season as an as an NFL quarterback. Cause oh, I'd agree. Being a top five passer in the league with those 4,000 yeah. yards, and it didn't start well. One touchdown right. and six interceptions through the first four games, but he did mount five fourth-quarter comebacks, game-winning drives in this season. Uh, Tiki Barber, Hank, I'm going to be honest with you. We saw a lot more of him in the yeah. mid-2000s, in the middle of this decade. But, um, look, I, I think Tiki, with the 11 touchdowns on the season, which was a career high for him, and then he led the NFC with almost 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Uh, I believe he had about 1,400 on the ground, but he also had a career-high nine fumbles. That goes unnoticed. Uh, he pretty much had eight fumbles Every year from the 2000 to 2003 span, it was not until Tom Coughlin arrived on the scene that Tiki finally fixed his fumbling issue. It was an issue his whole career. That's that's why he struggled to start early on in his career. He was stuck behind Joe Montgomery in 1999. Lord knows why. But look, Tiki Barber finally found his own in a Giants uniform. And he also had 69 catches, which back then was a lot for running back. I know Kerry Collins like to check it down. Tiki liked to refer to himself as more of a receiving back at times because he was an every down back, first, second, and third down. He never came off the field. I think the only time he ever came off the field was in short yardage situations where they had Ron Dane, who was the poor man's version of Brandon Jacobs. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was By this time, he was pretty much known as No Gain Ron Dane. Is that right? Ron No Gain Dane. Yep, that's the name. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've got to say, I just – I'll never understand this Giants team because every time, you know, I I look back at it, I'm like, wow, this team made the playoffs. This team made the playoffs. And this was a season where I wasn't sure if they were because it seemed like they took one step forward and two steps back every single week until those last four weeks. Um, But yeah, look at a picture of Tiki Barber here. For those of you who don't know who he is currently, I believe he's employed by CBS at the moment, WFAN. Oh, we got a picture of oh, we got a picture of Tiki uh, fumbling the ball against the Saints. I'm sorry, that's the first one. High uh, and tight, man. <laughs> we pulled up there, yeah. But that is Tiki Barber, number 21. <laughs> I had to do that. Sorry. Um, and for those of you who heard who heard me say high and t- tight, I'm sure I'm assuming you know what I'm referring to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one other person I'm going to talk about now is our uh, beloved wide receiver for the New York Football Giants, in Amani Toomer. Number 81, Hank. This guy had, I thought he should have been a pro bowler this season. He had 82 catches, over 1,300 receiving yards, which I believe he had the third most receiving yards in the entire NFL, only behind Marvin Harrison and Randy Moss. And then for some reason, Hank, he only had eight receiving touchdowns this season. Somehow, someway, Monty Toomer, only eight touchdowns uh, catching the football. Yeah, and this was his best season too, statistically. I, I, this season is probably one of the ultimate examples as to why I would say he's arguably the most underrated giant of all time. And yeah, it, it 
it, it blows my mind how this guy never made a Pro Bowl, considering how consistently he good he good he was for over the course of a decade, maybe well, probably more than a decade, I should say. So you'd call him a Pro Bowl bust, pretty much. Oh, for sure, without a doubt. I think so too. I think he just got the short end of the stick yet again, as he did often throughout the course of his uh, illustrious career as a New York Giant. And then after that, we go on to Ike Hilliard, number 88, the guy who I'm wearing tonight. Uh, Despite missing the last 10 games of the season, uh, Hilliard had 27 catches and two touchdowns. And then once he went down, it seemed like guys such as Daryl Jones, Ron Dixon, the undrafted rookie free agent Charlie Stackhouse, and even Dan Campbell, they picked up some slack because Ike Hilliard was actually drafted the year after Amani Toomer, but I think Toomer was more of a possession receiver that had a knack for breaking down the defense. But Ike Hilliard had a little bit more speed out of the two, safe to say. I just, I, I kind of wish Hilliard was healthy for this season. But ironically enough, Hank, it seemed the offense got better once Ike Hilliard went down. Yeah, I think that might have been because they were able to switch up the plays a little bit and spread out the offense more during the season. Would you would you agree with that statement? I definitely agree. I think once Hilliard went down, the Giants were forced to think a little bit more outside the box as to what they were going to do and who they wanted to target. But having this next guy definitely helped them. This opens up the door for rookie tight end Jeremy Shockey, who was <laughs> – a lot of people loved him. A lot of people also hated him. Uh, here's a picture of Jeremy Shockey in the middle there. <laughs> that big, uh, that big blonde hair of his, and we know he uh, he's notoriously known for a touchdown in a big preseason game against the Houston Texans. It was actually the Hall of Fame game. Yes. Um, only two touchdowns in his rookie season, but I thought he had a great end to it. Obviously, the touchdown over Brian Dawkins. We'll talk about a little bit later on in the show. Uh, He was actually the youngest player on this team, on the 53-man. He was an all-pro. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year. And I think he emerged as a top tight end. Back then, 74 catches, 900 receiving yards was a lot. And a lot of people referred to this guy as uh, a very tough man to take down. In fact, there was no tougher man to take down in football at that time in 2002. Yeah, Shockey later in the season made a very big impact. And I want to tell a little story about what happened with him right at the beginning of the season. So Shockey, as many of you know, was a guy that loved to march to the beat of a different drum. He was very rebellious. And I think this all came to a head during some incident during training camp where many of the guys were doing this hazing ritual that involved him having to sing the, like, fight song of his alma mater and then all of a sudden Shockey just says no and a fight breaks out between him and Brandon Short and Jim Fossil this must have gotten the attention of Jim Fossil because I think he loved that Jeremy Shockey was a take no prisoners tough guy and so in the NFL films documentary about the history of the Giants Jim Fossil when talking about this said oh my guy has arrived and as it turned out Shockey would have a very big impact and he, he was big for them going to the playoffs, without a doubt. He definitely he was. He definitely was. I agree. I love Jeremy Shockey, Hank. Big guy, 6'5". Uh, and again, this was probably the best tight end in Giants history outside of Mark Bavaro. Um, think about it. I was going to say. <laughs> well, outside of Bavaro. Okay, okay, good, good, good. No. Just wanted to make sure we were on the same page there, Tom. Yeah. Um, so, realistically, I think – 
when looking at the Giants offense, it was great. But I think the defense kept a lot of uh, opposing offenses in their place at times in this season. It all started with the uh, fourth time Pro Bowl selection in Michael Strahan, a guy who had 11 sacks. He tied the NFL record with at least half a sack in 10 consecutive games and the 13 tackles for a loss. These are just a couple of stats that there he is in the middle there. Michael Strahan, at this point, he was a nine-year vet in the NFL, a leader on that defense. Remember, uh, they brought in Kenny Holmes, but they lost guys like Keith Hamilton went down. They lost Christian Peter. And now they had guys, younger guys in there, like Wait, Cornelius Griffin and Lance Cleary. on this team? No, he, he, left, he left the year before. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I meant to say, but oh, he, was, okay. he was still a factor when he was there, and they had it to re- right. They, right. they had to re- uh, replace him. So that's where uh, Cornelius Griffin came in, and then when Keith Hamilton went down, that's when Lance Legree, the rookie, came into play. Um, but let's talk about Kenny Holmes. Hey, Kenny Holmes, number ninety, big guy. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people had mixed opinions on this guy coming over to the Giants. But I thought he did a fantastic job. Eight sacks on the season. I know he had a couple of double-digit sacks games there. He is scary-looking dude, by the way. If you just look at his bare hands there and his face. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm a right tackle, or I'm sorry, a left tackle, because Strahan was always lined up with the right tackle. I'm scared of that dude, number 90. Um, I think he also had a touchdown this season, actually. He returned the fumble for a touchdown. I remember that now, that uh, – we bring him up. Yes. And I think what's really important to uh, recognize here is that he actually led the Giants in this season 14 tackles for a loss, outdoing Strahan in that department. So I think having him as a fact there was definitely interesting. Oh, for sure. And as I said, it without Keith Hamilton, I think he was definitely one of those guys that needed to step up. And having eight sacks, that's no small feat. So I, I think he was definitely one of the unsung heroes of this Giants defense, without a doubt. Speaking of stepping up, then it all starts at the second level. Your linebackers obviously have to, you know, pick up some slack for your guys up front. And I think the middle linebacker, Mike Barrow, who in fact, not only did he lead the team in tackles, he was the oldest player on this roster at just 32 years of age. Goes to show you how young of a team this was. Um, Mike Barrow, 110 tackles. Uh, and then I think, well, obviously he was the oldest player prior to signing Trey Junkin, who mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about Trey Junkin tonight. I think having Mike Barrow was a great um, addition. And then Sean Williams, the safety, Hank. Uh, there's not enough said about Sean Williams. There he is, number 36. Had a mm-hmm. couple of key interceptions this season, including the one in week 17 in overtime against the Philadelphia Eagles. He made a transition. He moved from free safety to strong safety in 2002 and Uh to get 92 tackles from the safety position. It wasn't just, Oh, you know, defenses are getting a lot of big plays from us. That's why he's racking up the stats. He was bringing guys down in the backfield. He was bringing Uh guys down in the backfield, nine in the backfield, two picks. And he was one of the three players on the giants defense to start all 16 games. I believe the other two, were Michael Strahan and Omar Stoutmeyer, the other safety, number 23. So those are a couple of our key players. Uh, We'll go through under-the-radar players quick now. The Giants had pretty much a new 
revamped offensive line. And it starts with big number 77, Luke Pettigrew. There he is. Uh, he was the starting right tackle the previous three seasons, but then he switched to left tackle following the 17-year veteran Lomas Brown departing down to Tampa Bay to win a Super Bowl. A lot of the younger guys on the line looked up to Luke Pettigrew despite only being a four-year vet. Pettigrew started all 16 games. The guy next to him, Rich Seibert, there he is, 69, second-year guy. He was one of the four players on this roster to still be on the 2007 Super Bowl team. I like him a lot. He flew under the radar. He only committed three penalties all season. Uh, Hank, this is another undrafted player who filled in for Glenn Parker, and he started all 16 games as well. Then we move on. Uh, you want to say something about Rich Seibert actually here? Yeah, I was going to say this guy kind of, after like 2002 kind of fell off the radar for a bit after like that whole that whole incident that we will eventually get into much later and believe me it is a pretty big incident. But you know, he obviously well, we didn't really know about him as much in this season. It was this was definitely a guy who would go on to do big things later on and at the end of the day he is a Giants legend without a doubt. Number 69, yep. As shout-out to your What's buddy, going, Andrew? Andrew Morrison. How's it going? H-Man, he's calling you. <laughs> he's How's it going, Andrew? Thank you very much for tuning into our show. And if you guys want to pop in a comment, feel free to do like Andrew just did, and we'll pin it for you. We'll converse. Uh, the story of the 2002 New York Giants, uh, we talked about the new left tackle on the left guard, and of course the center who a lot of people forget about. He came over from the Kansas City Chiefs, actually your buddy Paul Lombardi's Kansas City Chiefs, Chris Bober. There he is right there, number 67. Took over for Dusty Ziegler, started the first couple of games at right guard. Uh, Chris Bober was a very low penalized player. He stepped up big. Actually, Dusty Ziegler would never start again after being benched. Um and then, obviously, the biggest hole for the Giants was at right guard. They tried Ziegler after signing Bober to play at center. It didn't work. So then uh, filling in for Ron Stone and then Dusty Ziegler was Jason Whittle. We're going to get a picture of Whittle up here in a second. I had to bounce around because some of the pictures are uh, out of order. There's Jason Whittle, another player who was around this franchise for a while, number 66. And then the right tackle, who was actually uh, a college teammate of Luke Pettigrew at Notre Dame, is Mike Rosenthal, number 78. There he is, Mike Rosenthal, the right tackle. Him and Pettigrew were actually drafted the same season, both drafted in 1999. Pettigrew, I think, was a – was he a first-round pick? I think Pettigrew was a first-round yes, pick. Yes, he and was. Rosenthal was a fifth-round pick. And then they started um, opposite each other at Notre Dame, and now they're starting our opposite each other on the New York Giants. It's crazy. Uh, fun fact, Dusty Ziegler, also a Notre Dame offensive lineman. They like to call them uh, uh, Notre Dame offensive line U. Uh, shout out Paul Lombardi joining the live stream. Let's go, Chiefs. That's right, Paul. We actually um, we just brought up Chris Bober, a former Kansas City Chief, who uh, moved to the Giants as a, a center. I know uh, the Chiefs obviously won the Super Bowl this year. Paul's a big Pat Mahomes fan. And shout out to Paul for tuning in to the show. Let's go, Chiefs. All right. Um, yeah, you know, Hank, I'm really interested in getting more 
through this offensive line, but let's get to the fullback on this team, Charles Stackhouse, a guy who you happen to like a lot, another under-the-radar player. He was an undrafted rookie free agent, and he very quietly had three touchdown receptions on the season. Yeah, this was a guy that, like, he was another one of those guys who stepped up in the second half, and considering he scored three touchdowns and those were all in big games. I actually did consider putting him in my top 10, but spoiler alert, he is not there. So I will have to relegate him to an honorable mention. Definitely looking forward to that. And the last guy we're going to talk about under the radar is your man, Dan Campbell, the backup tight end to Jeremy Shockey, Sean Payton's current assistant down in new Orleans. Dan Campbell was on this giants roster for a couple of years. And he was definitely a good complement tight end in the two tight end set. Campbell actually started along with Shockey. Stackhouse was, you know, kind of an additional uh, blocker. But a lot of people referred to Dan Campbell as the sixth starting offensive lineman. And I think when you have a frame that's 6'5", 260 pounds, you pretty much uh, are entitled to have that title. Yeah. Uh, he was also one of three offensive players to start all 16 games. It was only him, Kerry Collins and Amani Toomer. So a little fun fact there. Uh, actually had a career-high 22 catches in 2002. So my question to you, Hank, you think Dan Campbell could be a head coach uh, in the in the future? Honestly, yeah. He has a similar style to the way Jim Fossil and Sean Payton did. And from what I understand, if Sean Payton decides to retire, I would imagine he was he would be the next guy in the running for head coach of the Saints. Although personally, I know you would, I know you can totally vouch for me on this. I personally wish he was still on our staff, but that's a total story for another day. <laughs> and I, you know, another thing I kind of want to say, I know I said earlier that Kenny Holmes was probably one of the young son heroes. I would have to put Dan Campbell up there too. Cause yeah. not only was he a good tight end, really good blocker. And I think he really allowed guys like Kerry Collins and Tiki Barber to perform for him. So definitely one of the main unsung heroes in the giants for sure. I definitely agree. Um, so we'll talk about the defense a little later. I want to get some fun facts for now. Uh, mm-hmm. So all three starting linebackers on this roster, Mike Barrow, number 58, boom, there he is. Uh, number 53, Brandon Short, and number 55, Dahani Jones. There's Brandon Short right here. And then Dahani Jones was also a Philadelphia Eagle. Those three combined for over 300 tackles in the 2002 season. As we mentioned just minutes ago, Collins, Toomer, Campbell, only three offensive players, skill skills players on offense, pardon me, to start all 16 games. Strahan, Sean Williams, and Stoutmeyer, the only Giants defensive players to start all 16 games. We talked about the Pettigrew and Rosenthal story. Other notable players that are on this Giants roster that, you know, your average fans might not know about. Uh, new offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, who was our backup quarterback behind Kerry Collins. He was the Dallas head coach for a while. There is Jason Garrett back in New York. Now, another guy uh, is, the quarter, is the other backup quarterback, Jesse Palmer who a lot of you know him from the show The Bachelor, yes, and a college football analyst on ESPN, yes. He is. He was also a former NFL player. And this one is going to surprise some people. I'm not sure if this will surprise you, Hank, or not, 
uh, Ryan Clark, number 39. Uh, he only played two seasons for the Giants. He got That's majority right. of his starts in 2003, the year they went 4-12 and and everybody was hurt. But, yes, Ryan Clark, a guy who's often on a first take with Stephen A., Max Kellerman, Molly Kerum, those guys. Yes, Ryan Clark was a New York football giant, number 39. He did not get many opportunities to play. He was stuck behind a loaded secondary. Those are some little fun facts for you there. And the last one I'm going to bring up, Michael Strahan, Amani Toomer, Jeremy Shockey, and Rich Seibert are the only four players on this team to also be on the 2007 Super Bowl roster. Um, now we'll get into the preseason and the regular season quick. This shouldn't take us too long. So we talked about the Shockey fight in the cafeteria with Brandon Short. Dan Campbell had to break it up as well as Jim Fossil. Fossil, hence the quote, my rookie has arrived, my guy has arrived. Um, and then the Giants went 3-2 and two in the preseason because – a lot of teams used to play five games back then, which I found very interesting. Shout out to Kevin Xavier Mondello. Jason Garrett, how will he do as the new offensive coordinator? Will he help Barkley go to the Pro Bowl this season? I'll be honest, I think Barkley could make it without Jason Garrett as his coordinator, oh, yeah. uh, as he did uh, almost two years ago now. It's crazy how time flies, yeah. but... Um, I think Barkley will go to the Pro Bowl next season. I think Garrett's going to do really good. What a lot of people don't know, he's actually a pass-first offensive coordinator. The reason why you didn't see this in Dallas was because he wasn't always the one calling the plays. It was a mix of him and Kellen Moore and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Obviously, Dallas had a fantastic offensive line in front of him. I think you're going to see a little bit – you're going to see a lot of running and old-school offensive plays, but I think you're going to see a good mix of passing too with uh, young Daniel Jones on their center for the Giants. So I think for 2020, that's definitely something to look forward to. But, yeah, you know, 2002, Jason Garrett's sitting there in blue. Shout out, Kevin Mondello. Yes, hi, Kevin. I uh, would tend to agree with Tom. I think Jason Garrett was definitely a great, great choice for an offensive coordinator. And, yeah, I don't know if if – I think Saquon would definitely make the Pro Bowl, like regardless of who the offensive coordinator is. But – with that having been said, I still think he can probably help improve Daniel Jones and the rest of the offense for sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, Hank, so at this time, let's go on to week one. Week one of the 2002 season. I know this is what we've been waiting for. The New York football giants go up against a San Francisco 49ers team led by their quarterback, Jeff Garcia, and a kicker by the name of Jose Cortez, who they would see – two additional times in the season, except it would be with a different team. In this game, the Giants led 6-3 to three at halftime. Cortez ended up with a game-winning 36-yard field goal with six seconds left. But before that, Hank, I think we saw a lot of what Tiki Barber was in 2002. The dude just went off. Yeah, he had a big touchdown right at the end of the game, and that tied it with, like, a minute 55 to go. But unfortunately, the touchdown probably came too early because – as you know, as you know as well as I do, one minute and fifty-five can be a lot of time for another team to drive down the field for a field goal. I definitely agree. I, I Tiki Barber, obviously, with the late touchdown, which is big, but then giving San Francisco enough time back in offense that featured the likes of Terrell Owens still uh, on that team and Eric Johnson, who was a second-year tight end at the time. A lot of people forget about Eric Johnson, very under the radar mm. 
tight end. And fun fact, Hank, um, I know we just talked about this, but the airy foreshadowing of the playoff game four months later, that was ironic. But also Ron Stone starting at right guard before the game. He's telling his fellow offensive linemen, uh, you got to look out for big number 75, Keith Hamilton as well. You can't double stray hand because then you get two interior guys coming off the trenches yep. in Cornelius Griffin and Keith Hamilton, two defensive tackles who I think combined for like top five in sacks for that three-year span. I think Ron Stone heading to San Francisco, his advice yep. definitely helped them limit the pressure in this game, which is why the Giants defense had zero sacks in week one. Yeah, that would make sense. He's he, He's been on the team for a while, so – of course, he'd be pretty familiar with guys like uh, Keith Hamilton and Strahan. So the 49ers win this week one matchup, 16-13. to 13. Kerry Collins had an off day with those three interceptions, but Amani Toomer did have nine catches, 134 yards in this game. He was fantastic. I love me some Amani Toomer, one of my favorite Giants of all time. And, guys, we are going to reveal our top ten players of this team later on in the show, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Um, You know, it's crazy because little did these teams know they'd face each other four months later. But let's get on to week two. Giants are going up against the defending NFC champion St. Louis Rams. Kurt Warner, quarterback of this team. Hank. You referred to this in our script as an upset win. Actually, the Giants were 12-point dogs in this game. Yes. They were not predicted to win, and they called it the greatest show on turf. That is correct. The Giants were – or sorry, the Rams the year before were 14-2. and two. They had a powerful offense with the likes of Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, and, of course, Kurt Warner, and then add in a really dangerous running back in Marshall Falk. It's no wonder that team came very close to winning the Super Bowl, but of course, you know how that ended. A young man by the name of Tom Brady upset them, and gee, I wonder, he, he turned out all right, didn't he? <laughs> he sure <laughs> did. He sure did, and that was pretty much Tom Brady's coming out party uh, in that Super Bowl. But nevertheless, I would say that Rams team is probably one of the greatest teams of all time to not win the Super Bowl. We're going to talk yep. about another one of those teams in future episode, though. And you digress. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, the Rams were actually 14-2 and two that previous season, and it's just very difficult because obviously the Giants got off to a fast start. They were up 17-0 in this game. Shockey had his first career touchdown, only one of his two touchdowns of the season. And then Seahorn, Jason Seahorn, had the pick six as a part of a 17-0 lead. Jason Seahorn, drafted by the Giants in 1994. As a matter of fact, this was his last season as a New York football giant. He had one of his uh, two picks in the regular season in this game. Trying to get a picture of Jason up here while we're at it. There he is, Jason Seahorn, the Giants' uh, long-tenured cornerback for eight seasons. Uh, He kind of fell into the dark a little bit this season being replaced by Will Peterson, a second-year player, but he still managed to get five starts, and he started in the slot in that playoff game against San Francisco. So there's a little backlog there on Jason Seahorn. Kenny Holmes actually tipped that pass that Seahorn picked off. Kerry Collins was fantastic in this game, the Giants quarterback. He completed 14 of his first 15 passes, had an 85% completion percentage in this game, which tied, uh, which set, actually, a single 
game franchise record. At one point, the Giants led 23-14. to 14. Now, Hank, this is kind of where the Rams started to come back. Marshall Falk had a touchdown, but the kicker, Matt Bryant, the only consistent player on the Giants special teams the entire season helped preserve the, uh, preserve the, the, uh, the lead in this game. Right, and you're going to actually see a pattern when we talk about these games later on in the season, how the Giants will have a big lead, but in the end, the defense would bend, but they did not break, and Will Peterson right at the end would have a very important pick. He would step right in front of Torrey Holt to end the game, sealing the victory for the Giants. I definitely agree. One other thing we forgot to talk about, the Giants really struggled on offense these first few weeks, right? Their lack of wide receivers. Uh, Yes, Hilliard was healthy at the time, but their second-round draft pick, Tim Carter, actually missed uh, the first six weeks of the season. Do you want to know why? This is another fun fact. Yes, how come? So (laughs) Ryan Clark obviously had a very tough career with the Giants, the start of his NFL career. He delivered a late hit on Tim Carter in a practice and sidelined him for six weeks, and that's part of the reason why uh, Ryan Clark was actually cut in mid-October, and then they re-signed him to the practice squad two days later. The Giants did not get along well with Ryan Clark. A lot of guys come out of that franchise saying, first class, they treat you with respect. Ryan Clark did not. He's one of the very few that did not like playing for the Giants. And, you know, you know, you know what? It is what it is. Everybody has their own opinion on, uh, you know, teams and organizations. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Um, but ironically in this game, the defense showed up. Kurt Warner was sacked twice. The defense forced four turnovers, yeah. two, two in the final two minutes. It was the Falk fumble stripped by Strahan. And then second-year cornerback Will Peterson had an interception, now known as Will James, who stepped in front of Torrey Holt. And then, surprisingly, the Rams team that only lost two games in 2001 started out 0-2 that season in 2002. So, very interesting. Let's get a picture of Will Peterson up here. There he is tackling. uh, That looks like James Thrash, an Eagles wide receiver. But, yes, number 24, Will Peterson, played opposite number 25, Will Allen, both second-year corners. Pretty much that was the reason why Seahorn uh, became the number three cornerback on this roster. Right. And so for the next game, Week three at home against the Seattle Seahawks. This is, I got a fun fact for you this time around. This is the very first game the Giants have played against the Seahawks since their switch to the NFC from the AFC. Good one. That would be. Sorry? That's right, because they were an AFC team. Yeah. Exactly. And who won? Final score Yankees nine, Mariners six. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Giants nine, Seahawks six. Yeah, this is a game of all field goals, Hank. All field goals. Uh, Matt Bryan actually went 9-for-9 nine nine on field goals the first three weeks of the season, including the 47-yard game winner with two minutes to go. Speaking of special teams in this game, the Seahawks punter was actually Jeff Fiegels. Yes, a guy that we will definitely be talking about in future episodes. A Super Bowl champion and probably one of the best punters in Giants history. I definitely agree with that. Jeff Fiegels had a knack for pinning opponents down uh, inside their 20-yard line. In fact, he's the leading punter in NFL history in doing that. That record still stands to this day. Uh, Seattle's offense was limited to just 145 total yards this entire game. 
but they did hold a six to three lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, after the Giants took the nine to six lead, Will Peterson again for the second week in a row with the game clinching interception. Except this time, we talked about the similar face in Jeff Fegels, but the Seahawks had a very familiar quarterback to the Giants in Trent Dilfer. Uh, Trent Dilfer, obviously the quarterback for the Ravens, who beat them in Super Bowl 35, 34-7. Uh, Trent Dilfer, man, he, he bounced around the NFL, but he still some way, somehow found his way to a ring, uh, sadly. But, you know, is what it is. And then, I'll be honest with you, this game had no offense in it. The only really good offensive play was the 49-yard catch by well-dressed Amani Toomer, as Chris Berman likes to say. Uh <laughs> Another 100-yard game um, for Toomer. By the way, my Yankees joke, that was another Berman reference, By the just to let you know. <laughs> I did, yes. The Mariners and the Yankees, a baseball-esque or like game. I got, I got the joke, but it took me uh, an extra second to process that one. Um, definitely an interesting fun fact there, Hank. And, you know, I've got to say, I'm enjoying this so far. Let's get on to week four, where the Giants finished a unique schedule facing the entire NFC West, their first four weeks of the season and the Giants would finish two and two and it was their first game against the Cardinals as a non-NFC East team they remember they transitioned after 2001 from the NFC East to the NFC West there was a new division alignment in 2002 where they went with the four divisions so basically what that what that meant was they go to the modern day format where uh, six teams make the playoffs, the four division winners, and the two wild cards, because now there's four divisions in each conference, and there's four teams in each division. It's not uneven. Like, you know, the, the NFC East had five teams back in the day with the Cardinals, and it made no sense. Why be an NFC East team when uh, you're all the way out in Arizona? And it still scratches my head. Why are the Cowboys in the NFC East when they play in Texas? But, yeah, that's true with a lot of sports, too. Like, they – They'll put teams in, like, divisions, but yet they're not exactly in, like, the certain compass direction as to where it is. And this game turned out, by the way, turned out to be a pretty bad letdown. Uh, they were up 7 nothing. then Kerry Collins is a pretty bad pick right at the end of the half to, John, to Jonathan Lucas, I believe. Yes. And at that point, he was in that a really rough stretch in four weeks. One touchdown in the four games and six picks. Yeah, you know, the first four weeks of the season, Kerry Collins was off. I'm not sure what it was because all of his weapons were there. I think the offensive line was a part of the issue, Hank. Uh, The turnovers definitely hurt the Giants. The two picks in this game and then Tiki Barber, too. It wasn't just Kerry. Barber had a key fumble. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. And then there was a bad snap by long snapper Bob Jones, the undrafted rookie out of Penn State who I don't have a picture of Bob Jones because he didn't last very long. He only lasted 11 games. Uh, I don't think he wants his picture up here, to be honest. (laughs) In my opinion, Hank, you might be surprised by this, but the biggest flaw in this game was uh, there was a Ron Dixon touchdown that was negated by a Mike Mike Rosenthal holding penalty. Um, And then after that, Cardinals running back Marcel Shipp scores two touchdowns. So now sitting at two and two, heading into week five, the Giants beat the Cowboys 21-17. Michael Strahan, Brandon Short each get a sack. Toomer had a 56-yard touchdown. Emmett Smith, 
first touchdown of the season for the Cowboys. It was back and forth the whole way along. And then, by the way, Quincy, I believe this is Emmett Smith's last go around with the Cowboys. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, you are correct. And then Quincy Carter, the turning point for me, he overthrew a pass to Antonio Bryant when Dallas had the lead, which gave the Giants a chance to come back. And then after that, uh, Collins went on a an 80-yard touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, capped off by a 17-yard touchdown pass to Marcellus Rivers. Yep, the third-string was- tight end. And there he is, number 83, Marcellus Rivers. That was his only touchdown, I believe, of the season. Or one of two, I, I think. He had two touchdown receptions, I think. Yeah, this one was by far his biggest, though. Yeah, and I'm not mistaken. No, I'm sorry. Marcellus Rivers had two catches the entire season. Oh, wow. And one of them was the game-winning 17-yard touchdown catch against the Cowboys. Pick the right game to do it, and pick the yeah, right yeah. opponent as well for yeah. that matter. Well, you have to remember, Shockey missed two games as well. I believe Right. Shockey left this game with a turf toe, which is why Rivers was in there, which you can make the argument that's why he caught that touchdown pass late. They're closing in on Amani Toomer. That leaves the middle of the field open, right. which makes perfect sense. Um, but, yeah, ADR touchdown drive, fantastic. Giants are 3-2. and two. Good record. Now the Giants have perfect opportunity to go four and two the following week. They play the Atlanta Falcons, trying to go in hot into their bye. Backup quarterback Doug Johnson is in because Michael Vick is out with an injury. And then it does not get off to a good start as Doug Johnson had a 17 – I'm sorry. He anchored a 17-play drive that resulted in a rushing touchdown where Jason Seahorn with a backup quarterback – who was not very notorious for his legs, pump fake Jason Seahorn and ran in for a touchdown. And again, a game where not a lot of points were scored, Hank. Uh, The Giants had a chance to tie late. And then, again, Ron Dixon fumbles the ball on a catch that would have resulted in a first down late, thus costing the Giants a win. So between the miscue by Ron Dixon – a poor play in the secondary tackling-wise, and then losing Keith Hamilton for the season. He ruptured his Achilles, and this was big, because big Keith Hamilton, number 75, was a big, big component to the Giants' interior defensive line. Not having him definitely hurt the Giants throughout the course of the season. There he is, boom, big number 75, Keith Hamilton, who had a career-high 10 sacks in 2000, which we talked about on our last show. Keith Hamilton, Omar Stoutmeyer, and Michael Strahan, in fact, all went down on the same drive. That's how torturous this game was. Strahan left with back spasms, Stoutmeyer with a knee, uh, which led to the upbringing of a newcomer on this defense. And Hank, the Staten Island native, who I guarantee you none of our viewers know who he is, number 95, Frank Ferrara, a backup defensive lineman who led the Giants with nine tackles in this game with one and a half sacks. Yeah, and this wasn't even his first go-around with the Giants either, believe it or not. He was a fun fact for you guys. He was also on the practice squad in 1999. He made his comeback right around the 2001 season, and I think he started a few games in 2002 as well, did he not? He started one game. 
Right. That was the week everybody was hurt. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, so he started one or two games. He definitely started one. I know that. But he came in for the injured Strahan late. Uh, that week, everybody was hurt. The Giants had to sign people off the street again on defense. It was rough. So the Giants go into the bye. Week seven, sitting at three and three. And then they come out flat against the Philadelphia Eagles. They score three points the entire game. Unacceptable offensive performance. This was the final visit to Philadelphia Veterans Stadium. Also, the last Monday night football game at the said venue as the Eagles would move to Lincoln Financial Field the following year. Hank, turning point for me in this game, I believe this was the only touchdown of the game, despite the score being 17-3. to The Eagles kicked three field goals, had a touchdown, and then the two-point conversion. So up 10-3, to right, late. Game still in the balance. Donovan McNabb cruises for a 40-yard touchdown run. The only touchdown of this game, and then the two-point conversion. So then the Giants, now they drop the three and four, and they're sitting there below 500. We talked about Keith Hamilton being lost for the season. To make matters worse, now Ike Hilliard dislocates his shoulder, and he's done for the season. Yeah, and that was on a freak play, too. It was just a, it was just a regular tackle by Brian Dawkins, who was a really good safety. But this, ironically, despite losing him, the offense actually did improve somewhat after this. Yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly, it got better. But this another turning point, though, from this game was the Giants had 13 points in the last two games. Jim Fossil decided a change needed to be made, and so he went up to Sean Payton and said, all right, I'm going to call the plays and take charge for the remainder of the season. And Pretty, Pretty much. He was straight up with them, too. Yeah, and that turned out to help the Giants like the rest of the way, especially in their next game against the Jack- Jacksonville Jaguars and a future friend, I might add. Why, yes. That, that will be TC. Yes, sir. Tom Coughlin, which we'll get into that game now. Week 9, Giants beat Jacksonville 24-17. Tiki had 100 yards, two touchdowns, 44-yard scamper in the third quarter. And then there was a big review in this game. Ron Dixon had a uh, a catch in the end zone that was called incomplete. Then it was reviewed after it was originally called out of bounds. The officials overturn it. Ron Dixon gets the touchdown. Giants take the lead. And, Hank, a common trend this season, the Giants' defense, it bent, but it didn't break. Explain this bend, not break term and how it helped the Giants in week nine. Okay. So when I said the Giants would bend but not break, a trend that that we'll show you later in the season, the Giants will have big leads at a certain point in the game, but then whether it be they're getting complacent or whether the other team's figuring out, the other team starts to mount a rally. But then right at the end, just when you think that other team is going to finish and complete the comeback, they get stopped just short, and the Giants find a way to win. Pretty much. You pretty much hit the ball on the uh, B there. And that'll this will happen as well in next week's game, although in next week's game, the other team actually takes the lead at one point. Yeah. You know, I think before we get to Week 10, just to finish Week 9, 
Obviously, Sean Williams had a key interception off Mark Brunell in this game to seal the deal. This 2002 game against Jacksonville, it had a similar feel to the 2000 game in a sense, as where these two seasons were similar and that the Giants had late leads and then they would often, you know, they would kind of be a little bit conservative and just give up yardage and then teams would end up scoring on them and climbing back into the game a little bit too early. And unfortunately, that's the same thing we saw in the playoff game against San Francisco. The Giants got too complacent with the lead. They didn't keep the foot on the gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, they, they forgot who they were playing against. But week 10, we played Gabe Flayton's Minnesota Vikings. And Kerry Collins had his best game of the season up to that point. 300 yards, two touchdown passes. Tiki had 173 total yards. Ron Dixon had four catches for 107 yards. Ron Dixon stepping up big. Um, He didn't start, though, when Hilliard went down. It was Daryl Jones, number 87. But Ron Dixon definitely played a factor, not just on special teams, but he had more of an offensive role in 2002. And I think that's what the Giants were looking for. But, Hank, Ron Dixon wasn't the only Giants player to step up in this game. No, as we mentioned earlier, Charles Charles Sackhouse was one of the three guys who scored a touchdown. And with and Ron Bain would add one too. And it, they would get a 19 to 6 lead. But then kind of like we mentioned in the last week, that's when things started to started to go off the rails. Dante Culpepper has a very poor performance. In fact, he only has he only throws for 91 yards. So he gets benched in the second half and the and the Vikings have to replace him with Todd Bowden, who is actually a local guy from Minnesota, too. Yeah. But then the defense starts to get complacent to the point where they actually let the Vikings take the lead on that 77-yard touchdown run by Michael Bennett. But then Terry Collins, in yet another moment where we see how underrated he is, he leads the Giants on a big game-winning touchdown drive. And I believe it was... Tiki Barber, who scored the game winner. Yeah, you know, it shouldn't have came to that point, though. And you're right, you bring up a couple of good points. You're up 19-6 to through three quarters, heading into the fourth quarter. Culpepper's out of the game. He's playing like garbage. He's coming nowhere. His balls are going nowhere near his receivers, like not even in the same vicinity. And Todd Bauman comes in, and it looks like something. He just hit like a corkscrew or something. You couldn't do anything for the rest of the game. Todd Bauman was owning the Giants. and. Yeah, 77-yard touchdown by Michael Bennett. That doesn't just happen. That's not just good offensive line play. There was a complete breakdown on the Giants' defense on that play. So, right, and, and another thing that really hurt them was the special teams and the PATs, right? Yeah. Miscues again. Uh, fun fact, actually, Minnesota had a couple of interior defensive linemen in this game bar- who Barber ate up, especially on that last drive. Chris Hovan who we know from the 2000 NFC Championship game, and then future giant Fred Robbins. That is right. Fred Robbins was a Viking before going to the Giants. Uh, I'm going to give you another bourbonism, Fred Rock and Robbins. Yeah, there you go. I like that one a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Marcellus Rivers caught a key two-point conversion after the Tiki Barber touchdown, and then the kicking unit, it cost the Giants eight points in this game. It was bad snaps, dropped passes, missed kicks, in fact, Jim Fossil had a nightmare that night after the game. Actually, I'm not sure if it was the night the game happened or the middle of the week. 
He woke up three times in one night. He woke up once at three, once again at four, and then once again at five. I don't know why. It's not even like he had an alarm clock set up at those times, but around those time frames, he woke up three times at night thinking about it, and that's when he pulled the trigger. Bob Jones pretty much was on thin ice, and then Tom Ruin, I think, was the new holder for that game, and I think that's what kind of played a part in it. They didn't have Matt Allen holding for some reason, and then now, luckily, the Giants get the win. Yes. And they improve to five and four. Now, I think this is where they go into Washington, and now they get on a three-game winning streak. They beat the Redskins 19-17. to It's the return of Jesse Armstead to the Meadowlands since leaving the Giants. And then this is the week, Hank, where Jeremy Shockey actually had the media outburst. Now, we haven't talked about Shockey much the last few minutes of the show, and there's, there's a, a reason why. Yeah, because the Giants offense really was not centered around him. And because he figured, you know, he wasn't going to get targeted enough. Yeah, you see that picture of him yelling. Shockey pretty much said, went all Keyshawn Johnson on them and said, give me the gang ball. As, as, as it said in the New York Post. And, you know, he put his money where his mouth was and he had a big game. 11 catches for 111 yards. And it got to the point where the Redskins defense actually had to triple coverage him at one point. And that blew the gates open for a huge touchdown reception for Amani Toomer, 35 yards out. And yes, as my friend George Zayas would say, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Shockey <laughs> uh, <laughs> put up ones across the stat sheet, 11 catches, 111 yards. Seahorn had his second pick of the season in this game off Shane Matthews. Uh, quarterback for the Redskins. In fact, Hank, this was the Giants' first interception in seven games. Wow. Yeah. Strahan had two sacks. It was great. The Giants finally woke up. Uh, The Redskins took a late lead, though, as Rod Gardner had a touchdown catch, and he caught the touchdown in between six Giant defenders. It was very awkward. I remember watching this, actually. It was one of the first Giants games I ever watched, and Rod Gardner's just kind of sitting there in the middle of the end zone he looks like a sitting duck, and then for some reason, the ball just goes right into his breadbasket. Nobody could deflect it out of play. So then the Giants had a fight from behind again, and it took a fourth Matt Bryant field goal to give the Giants the win. And then in this game, of course, our old friend Jose Cortez, after being cut by the 49ers in Washington, kicking a field goal late, blocked and recovered by free safety Omar Stoutmeyer. And another fun fact in this game, not only will the Giants win three games and improve to six and four, but the Giants also faced a couple of future Giant linebackers in Antonio Pierce and LeVar Arrington. A little fun fact for you. So That's a good one. Pierce, Pierce, by the way, as I'll mention in some future shows, is another Giant I find to be very underrated. Criminally underrated, as you yes. like to say. Exactly. <laughs> um now week 12, right? Giants are 6-4, and four, riding high. They're playing the Houston Texans, first-year expansion team. You'd think they should beat them, right? Go three games above and sit at 7-4. and four. Perfect, right? Perfect prime position to be a five-seed, chase the Philadelphia Eagles, only be a game back. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. This is the first game ever uh, against this Texans team. The Giants lose 16-14. to 14 on a late field goal, demoralized their chances of getting to the playoffs. 
uh, falling to six and five. And this is where Bob Jones had his final game as a giant. Uh, he botched a snap leading to a safety, which resulted in his release pretty much. It, it was atrocious. It was atrocious. It was very unfortunate because, you know, Tiki Barber had a great game. Rich Cyber had a couple of nice blocks for him. And then the Giants sacked David Carr five times. The defense was there. Kenny yeah. Holmes, Kenny Holmes had three sacks and Strahan had two. Those are where the five sacks came from. In fact, this actually set, uh, I think it set a record. Most times a rookie quarterback has ever been sacked in a single season in NFL history. That's David Carr, 58 times. Obviously, we know David Carr is a giant, but right. tough, tough. And, you know, Hank, I don't understand this game. The Giants outgained Houston 368 to 212 but they still find a way to lose the turnover battle three to one. You know, you think you're applying pressure, you're getting in the quarterback's face. You think you would win the football game. And if you had told me, if you were telling me before that game that like you're only going to give up 16 points to an expansion team, you'd think, oh, okay, automatic win. Nope. And that's pretty much why they say any given Sunday. <laughs> Kerry, Collins yeah. had a, Kerry Collins had an awful game, Hank. 18 of 41, two interceptions. It was very rough. Uh, and then week 13 gets no better, although the Giants put up a much better fight against the Tennessee Titans, a team that is uh, pretty much a few years removed from a Super Bowl appearance. They were hot on a five-game winning streak that was snapped the previous week. Uh, Drew Bennett had a big touchdown in the first half as Will Peterson actually missed this game, Seahorn started in place of Will Peterson. Giants are up big late, Hank. They're up by 12. They're up 26 to 21. Toomer uh-huh. made a fantastic catch where he's tackled at the one-yard line. And then the Giants were held to three points. Sound familiar? Yes. We know yep. week, week 18 of the season something very similar happened. So the Giants kick three. They go up 29-21. Tennessee needs a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie the game, to bring it overtime. Well, what does Steve McNair do? He does just that. The touchdown pass to Frank Wycheck with nine seconds left, and then Joe Nedney kicks a field goal to hand the Giants a crushing defeat. And a lot of people thought this ended any realistic chance for the Giants to win the division. McNair had over 300 yards and three touchdowns. The Giants' defense got sauced up. Fun fact, once the game went into overtime, the Giants won the coin toss. They got the ball first. They got the ball first. They had zero turnovers in the game. Toomer was hot. Another 100-yard performance, but they couldn't win the game. They couldn't win the game. Yeah, no, this this was yet another game that was a very inexcusable loss for the Giants. And... Yeah, they this game put them, I think it was three games behind the Eagles. They pretty much had no shot at the division. And their and not only that, but their playoff hopes were in serious jeopardy. And this is another example of two steps forward, two steps back. And yeah, it was just very inexcusable. And this is another game that has you wondering, like, had the had the result been reversed, like could could their um playoff fate have been different? It's another it's another one of those what if scenarios. If right. 
So now the Giants are sitting there six and six. Their backs are against the wall. They have to be nearly perfect to get in because the Saints are one are the top wild card team at this point, and the Giants are just fighting for a spot. So week fourteen, December hits. Jim Fossil coined the term Mister December. What does Jim Fossil do? Jim Fossil cashes in. Jim Fossil, there he is. 19 and 5 heading into December as a head coach prior to the December of 2002. The Giants go 4 and 0 in December. It starts week 14. They play the Redskins for the second time. Kerry Collins had two first half touchdown passes, including one to your man, Charlie Stackhouse. And in this game, this was not an ordinary game. The Giants had four defensive starters out. So guys like Ralph Brown. Lance Legree, Nick Greeson, and Kato Sirwanga all stepped up for starters who were missing. In Dahani Jones, Mike Barrow. Remember, two of their starting linebackers were out, and their two starting corners were out, and Will Peterson and Will Allen. So Ralph Brown had a key pick in this game off Danny Werfel, starting for injured Will Allen, and then that led to the Redskins getting five turnovers. The Giants were hot early. The Redskins couldn't do much. And then the Giants, I believe they were up 21-14. And then Champ Bailey had a critical fumble on a punt, if you remember, that resulted in a Tiki Barber touchdown. And we all love Tiki, man. This was this was his year. This was his year. Mm-hmm. And Giants are now up by 13. Kato Sirwanga had a forced fumble in this game. Uh-huh. And then Redskins come back late. They score a touchdown. They get the ball back. Last-ditch effort on a Hail Mary knocked down by Jason Seahorn. As Chris Berman says, what do you do? You knock it down. That's exactly what they did. And Jason Seahorn, the eight-year vet, did it. Did it perfectly. Cornelius Griffin, big man, number 97. We know a little bit about Cornelius Griffin, Hank had three of his four sacks of the season in this game. There he is, big number 97. Another player that, you know, we talked about, obviously, Lance Legree, the rookie defensive tackle filling in. And then um, a guy who really flew under the radar for me. I got to see if I can get a picture up of him here. Uh, We don't have one of Ralph Brown, but we do have one of Nick Greeson, I think, who there he is. You remember a... Uh, one of the coach favorites of Tom Coughlin in 2005 after Blackburn broke his neck, AP went down, all the linebackers were hurt. Barrett Green, Grayson comes in, he fills in. He was pretty much, him and Kevin Lewis were pretty much the two starters for the Giants in the 05 playoffs. And now in 2002, they were there in 2002. They had that experience, Hank, late. And I think that's what helped the Giants in 2005. You know, experience is key, regardless if you're a backup, a starter, if you're the water boy. Experience is experience. Um, Very true. And they were on a team that went pretty far not too long ago. So all three linebackers had a sack, Grayson, Lewis, and Short. Uh, Heading into week 15, sitting at seven and six, Hank, what happens? This was probably the only game all season where the Giants really dominated start to finish. 37-7 over... A Cowboy team that really was not good. 5-11, and 11, if I'm not wrong, and 
Yeah, they they were up there at one point. They were up 30, 37 nothing. This was not even close. Tiki Barber, one hundred fifty seven rushing yards, three touchdowns. Monty Toomer, six six catches, ninety nine yards, and and then you had Michael Barrow having a strip sack, and then that led to Kenny Holmes' only touchdown, the fifty yard fifty yard fumble recovery. Yeah, not even close, and it puts them one step closer to possibly making the playoffs. Yeah, Tiki had a monstrous game, as you were alluding to. The three touchdowns was key. This was the biggest blowout over Dallas in 40 years. In 40 years. Toomer nearly had 100 receiving yards again. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the strip sack by Barrow and the Holmes touchdown was key. But another newcomer who the Giants signed off the street, Byron Frisch, number 99, played for, I believe, BYU was not a giant for very long, but he came in and had two sacks on quarterback Chad Hutchinson in this game. And this Giants defense was great. It limited Joey Galloway to just one catch. Uh, And now the Giants are 8-6. and They're going into Indianapolis. Kerry Collins, there he is. He's rocking it. He's having a grand old time. He's playing really well. Early in this game against the Colts, this is the Giants' last road game of the season. They run a wide receiver screen to Jeremy Shockey. And Jeremy Shockey absolutely destroyed David Gibson, the safety. Um, I think Shockey, this was probably his best play of the season. It was, it was only a 24-yard catch, surprisingly, but it led to a Tiki Barber touchdown run. Oh, and to quote, to quote uh, Bob Papa on that play, David Gibson wants the truck number of the guy that just ran over him. And another quote Gibson made, Jeremy Shockey is just another player. Well, you know what? He's not just another player now. (laughs) Um, Man, and after that, again, defense has to zero in on Shockey. What does this do? It sets up an 82-yard touchdown on a flea flicker to Imani Tuma, the first play of the second half. The Colts are sitting there looking like dead fish out of this game. Kerry Collins, a perfect 158.3 quarterback rating, 23 of 29, over 350 yards, four touchdown passes, his best performance of the season. Stackhouse, his third touchdown reception of the season. Toomer scores two touchdowns, one in the fourth quarter. Giants are a big 37 to 12. Peyton Manning is looking lost, throws a pick to Dahani Jones, and then – the Colts started finding their receivers. They made a couple of big plays. Uh, I think the Colts actually had two touchdowns in seven seconds, thanks to an onside kick recovery. But the Giants, they sealed the deal. Amani Toomer in this game, 10 catches, 204 yards, a career high, three touchdown receptions. Love me some Amani Toomer. And Jeremy Shockey, seven catches, 116 yards. There they are, Jeremy Shockey and Amani Toomer, number 80 and number 81. Uh, Hank, you know, I've got to say, as good as the offense was in this game, to me it was the defense that definitely shined. Kenny Holmes with the two sacks, Short and Dahani each with a pick. And now the Giants control their own destiny. It was very important thanks to the Saints losing a shocking game to the 1-13 Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, that was big. And then 
it sets up a pretty much a playoff-like atmosphere for their matchup the next week against a very familiar foe that you know all too well, the Philadelphia Eagles. And guess what? You want to know which coach since the 70s had a really good track record against the Philadelphia Eagles? That Who would, would be that Mr. be? That would be Mr. December himself, Jim Fossil. Go figure. Not even, not even Tom Coughlin and Bill Parcells did that well against the Eagles. So speaking of Mr. December, Jim Fossil, he decided to have a uh, team meeting with his team, with his players, to talk about this game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And now we are going to try to get that up for you guys here. I know we had an issue with the audio last time. So we're going to give this one a shot. And here it is. season and it flipped our season. They cost us everything we wanted last year. I want to say that at the end of this year. Sorry, I think we had a little audio issue, Hank, there at the beginning, did we? We did, we, but I heard right at the end, and I think, but you know what, I think we got the most important quote right at the end when he said, when he said, we're not going to let that happen again this year regarding losing to Philly and them costing the playoffs. So basically what happened was Jim Fossil is saying the Eagles took everything that the Giants wanted last year. So I'll stop sharing the screen. And he didn't want that to happen to them this year. So he's in there. He's making a big speech. And then the Giants fall out for 60 minutes. A.J. Feely had no chance in this game. There he is, number 14, looking lost out there behind his O-line. Giants defense was fantastic. Uh, in fact, the Giants defense was not out there very long, Hank. The Giants held the ball for almost 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. They outgained the NFC East champs 2-1. to one. Uh, Remember, the Eagles, they pretty much clinched the one seed, and the Giants somehow found a way to win this game. It really surprised me, Hank. The Giants had four turnovers, several penalties, missed kicks, bad snaps. Dan O'Leary, who we'll get an image of him up here now. <laughs> His uh, last game as the Giants' long snapper, I believe he got hurt. Uh, Giants, as a team, had seven fumbles in this game, four fumbles by Tiki Barber. He lost three of them. The Giants lost the turnover battle four to one, yet they find a way to win. Uh, future Giant Carlos Emmons would have 14 tackles for Philadelphia. Um, James Thrash would have a 20 yard touchdown rush to put Philly up on a little reverse play. And then Collins threw an interception in the red zone early to Michael Lewis. That's how the Giants were trailing 7-0. Barber had a key fumble in the red zone. So the Giants had two key turnovers in the red zone in this game. Uh, And two penalties as well on touchdown plays that were negated. So the Giants definitely had a lot of trouble in this game, Hank. They really couldn't get out of the zone. Stackhouse had a touchdown called back on a holding on Rosenthal. That one actually wasn't a hold, but the other one, Toomer had a touchdown called back on a hold by uh, Rich Seibert. But again, the Giants are trailing late in the fourth quarter, 7-0 to to the Eagles and their backup quarterback, A.J. Feely. And then there was a historic touchdown by rookie tight end Jeremy Shockey, 6'5", against 5'11", 
Brian Dawkins with about eight minutes to go in this game. And at this time, we are going to show that clip. And here we go. Yeah, that was a fantastic play. I think that was the best play of the season right there. If the Giants don't score that touchdown, Hank, I don't think they're getting the game into overtime. In fact, I don't think they're getting to the playoffs. Uh, right. And break down that play for us, actually. So, Colin, so, so Collins was looking for a target. He sees Shockey right at the end zone. And Shockey, with his incredible height and athleticism, outleaps Brian Dawkins for what was by far the biggest touchdown of the season. And yeah, like you said, this probably, if that's, if this doesn't happen, there's no way they're going to the playoffs. And another thing I kind of want to add about this game, like considering all the turnovers and mistakes that were made and considering how the giants dominated, this is a game that like, when I really look at it as great of a winner as it is, it really should not have come down to like overtime that they should have definitely been up by more without a doubt in my mind. I definitely agree. The Giants should have more points on the board in this game. Uh, but the Giants get it done. Tiki Barber, despite the four fumbles on the ground, still yards-wise had the game of his life over 200 yards. Without these fumbles, of course, there's a good chance the Giants win by more. David Akers actually missed the 35-yarder that helped the game get into overtime. And then an OT, A.J. Feely throws a terrible interception to Sean Williams. And I remember on that last drive, Mike Barrow's yelling at the Chains crew to move those chains, setting up a uh, Matt Bryant game-winning 39-yard field goal. The Giants defeat the number one seed, Philadelphia Eagles, outgain them 461 to 209, and the Giants return to the place they belong, the NFL playoffs. Yeah, and when you consider all the circumstances that happened this season with like the whole the rebuilding talk and then all the injuries this this was really huge and the Giants were coming to the playoffs on a roll too because winning four games in December with your back against the wall that's not some that's not easy and it's not like they had an easy road to do it either because yeah you had the Cowboys in there where they were 511 but three of them are division rivals and not to mention you had Peyton Manning in there too so this this was yet another example of Jim Fossil with his back against the wall Putting, putting the Giants, like, having the Giants finish well. 100%. 100%. I definitely agree. And we'll show this picture here quick. There it is. Mm-hmm. The meltdown in San Francisco. So, Hank, uh, number five seed New York Giants, are arguably the hottest team in the NFL. They're 10-6, and six, coming in with a four-game winning streak, playing against the number four seed 49ers, who are also 10-6. and six. January 5th, 2003, grandest stage of them all, NFC wildcard weekend. Five days before this game, the Giants signed 41-year-old long snapper Trey Junkin. There he is, a 19-year vet who replaced the injured Dan O'Leary. Hank, 
Trey Junkin played one career game with the Giants. It was also his last NFL game. Uh, Junkin had actually previously retired before signing with the Giants. Now let's talk about the long snapper story. This was infamously known as the year the Giants couldn't snap and the year that the Giants couldn't kick. Bob Jones was the long snapper for 11 games. Then the team turns to Dan O'Leary, who then tore a thumb ligament in week 17 against Philadelphia. Uh, And then Junkin states in an interview as he's getting signed, he only had two bad snaps his entire career. To expand on your point, actually, uh, Trey Junkin was considered one of the uh, greatest long snappers in the history of NFL. In fact, he was profiled in an SI article. And one of those snaps he talked about that he regrets was one that actually didn't really affect the game. It actually was in a swirl. He says the swirling wind helped it not be so bad. But the quote that I want to point out, he said in said article was, the snap will haunt me until the day I die. Now you see why it's very eerie. Yeah, I do. Because imagine how he felt after this game. I think he felt worse, but I think at the time he was referring to something else. So yeah, no, definitely, exactly. it's definitely very interesting. But uh, let's get to this game because we are running short on time. So the Giants, how did they get out to a thirty-eight to fourteen lead in this game? Well, we're about to tell you, folks. The 49ers, their first play from scrimmage, following a Julian Peterson interception off of Kerry Collins, Jeff Garcia hits Ter- Terrell Owens for a 76-yard touchdown to break the floodgates open. Uh, and actually, we'll uh, show that here as Jason Seahorn trying to chase him down, 76-yard score. Jeff Garcia to Terrell Owens. Great. Giants are down. Garcia, then a little revenge for Jason Seahorn as he picks off Garcia. Now, remember, Seahorn started this game, and Ferrara actually started this game as well. Uh so then Seahorn gets the pick, leading to Collins. Um, I'm sorry, the pick from Seahorn came later on. Uh, I misread that stat line. So before the Seahorn pick, we'll backtrack a little bit. So now the Giants are down 7 nothing. The Giants score two touchdowns via Toomer and Shockey. But then Barlow would get a touchdown to tie the game up at 14 late in the first half, right? Mm-hmm. And now Kerry Collins finds Amani Toomer to put the Giants up 21-14. to 14. Now Toomer is second touchdown of the game. Kerry Collins, three touchdown passes in the first half. Giants run a roll. Then Garcia throws the pick to Seahorn, leading to Collins' fourth touchdown pass of the game and his third to Amani Toomer. Hank, the Giants are now up 28-14. to 14. Wow. I mean – Talk about how the Giants got out to this insanely, ridiculously large lead. Well, yeah, they they were getting hot on offense, and then they actually expanded that lead to 35-14 with a touchdown by Tiki Barber. And this was a lead that probably could have been even higher, you know? They, they're driving down the field, getting in the end zone, but then Jeremy Shockey drops it, and so they have to settle for a field goal. 38-14, but... Eh, it's just a field goal. They get the points. This should not be a problem, right? Wrong. And another thing I want to get into Jeremy Shockey. This guy, as great of a season as, as he had, this game was an, also an example of times where Jeremy Shockey would have his drop moments. And 
not to mention he had two really bad moments. There was one moment where he actually got caught, caught on camera flipping the one-fingered salute at the 49ers, but then he also was forced to apologize because he would throw ice into the stands at a kid. Now, am I saying that Shockey can be blamed for what happened later on? No, not quite, but given his behavior and all that, it's not exactly unwarranted that he got some criticism and some heat after this game. I definitely agree. His drop was the turning point of this game. The Giants had to settle for a 21-yard Matt Bryant field goal. They're up 38-14, to 14, and now Jeff Garcia just caught uh, fire in the fourth quarter. He went off. There he is, number five on our screen. He hit Terrell Owens for a second touchdown of the game, 26 yards out to start the fourth quarter. San Francisco hits the two-point conversion to Terrell Owens as well. There it is, Seahorn a little late on that play. The score is now 38-22. to 22. Then a bad punt by Matt Allen, number 12, who will be brought up again shortly, uh, pretty much set the 49ers up in striking distance on top of a 15-yard penalty by Dahani Jones. By the way, after that that second touchdown by T.O., there is one thing I want to point out. What's that? Strahan taunted T.O. a little bit at the end zone, if you may recall. He T.O. was like celebrating, partying hard, trying to spark up team. Then Strahan kind of pointed at the scoreboard at T.O. That was a very big no-no and something that really came back to haunt the Giants. A little beef, safe yeah. to say, man. A little beef. Exactly. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that uh, you know, Strahan was, was wrong or T.O. was wrong, but it definitely didn't help the way the yeah, game was going. Um, and then the 49ers get uh, a 14-yard touchdown rush by Jeff Garcia, followed by a two-point conversion. Now it's 38-30. to 30. Now it's an eight-point game. And, Hank, I just don't get it. The Niners get the ball back again. The Giants' offense just becomes stagnant all of a sudden. And then um, I think Jeff Chandler hits a 25-yard field goal. Now it's 38-33. to 33. After this, Junkin has his first bad snap as Bryant missed a 42-yarder. Look, I'm not a big Matt Bryant guy. I don't know about you, but he was definitely the biggest uh, – he was the most consistent special teams player for the Giants this season for sure. We'll pull up that miss here, actually. The first miss, there it is right there. Yeah, Matt Bryant was kind of an inconsistent kicker with the Giants, if I remember correctly. Right. He had his moments, but he also had his struggles. I mean, Uh, I don't have as much of a memory of this season as you, but yeah, from what I recall and from what I remember hearing, Matt Bryant was kind of eh. He was hit or miss. Um, Yeah. So then the 49ers go 68 yards after that as Garcia connects with Ty Streets on a 13-yard touchdown. But they missed the two-point conversion. But what matters here most is that the 49ers are now ahead of the Giants, 39-38. to Not much time left in the game, under two minutes to go. Giants' Delvin Joyce takes the kickoff out to uh, the Giants' own 48-yard line. So they're essentially at midfield. They only need about 25, 30 yards to get into Matt Bryant's range. Dixon steps up on this drive, gets 30 receiving yards. To, and now this is, Hank, this is where uh, history was made, not in the best way for this Giants franchise. And at this time, we are going to show Trey Junkin plus Matt Allen plus Rich Seibert the end of 2002 story of the New York 
football giants and here it is lot of things wrong with this play a lot of things wrong with this play and we're going to break it down first off it's a terrible awful snap by trey junkin but we can't entirely blame this play on trey junkin hey can we absolutely so- not and i never really understood why he got the brunt of the blame for this play i mean if anything I know you're going to agree with me on this, but here's who I really think should have gotten the blame on this. And that would be punter Matt Allen, who had absolutely no reason whatsoever to throw that ball. And I know he'll probably say, he would say in interviews that, oh, it was probably my best course of action and it was a good pass. At the end of the day, you have to really think about the situation. It was third down. You throw the ball away or you spike it. You still have time for another chance at a field goal. But no, that that throw that he made, I don't care that there sh- that there was no penalty called that should have been. That that throw was just not necessary and I think that was a real reason why that that was a real mistake the Giants made in this play in this play right there. Out of all people, Matt Allen throws the ball to Rich Seibert the starting left guard guarded by Chike Okafor, who clearly interfered with him. It should have been called right. pass interference, but it wasn't. So here's what happened. Rich Seibert checked in as an eligible yes. receiver on this play, right? Mm-hmm. He, was, yeah. he was the emergency tight end on this roster, despite mm-hmm. being the starting left guard. Mm-hmm. However, it should have been P.I. on Okafor, and it wasn't called. They called an eligible receiver downfield on Cyber, and that's what Chris Collinsworth thought it was. Allen throws the ball to Cyber. Yes, it's third down. He should have thrown the ball in the dirt okay. to give the Giants another chance because they would have had another chance to kick. But Allen rolls out and throws the ball. It was kind of a split-second decision. I think Allen may have thought he had a free play. But – uh I'm going to agree with you here and say Allen should have thrown the ball in the dirt. He should have just spiked it down so he wouldn't have been called for intentional grounding. A lot of people were saying there should have been offsetting penalties. They're saying cyber, the penalty should have stood and that there should have also been a pass interference called on Okafor. In that event, offsetting penalties at that point, uh, I think that still would have ended the game. 
So there's there's a lot of different factors into this play because yes, a game can't end on a defensive penalty. Yeah, but it could end on offsetting penalties as well. Uh-huh. So at that point, maybe that's what Matt Allen was thinking. We will never know. I mean, you could only ask Matt Allen himself or Trey Junkin or Matt Bryant or Rich Seibert or Jim Fossil, a lot of the people who were involved right. with this team. So should Allen have thrown the ball in the dirt there or did he make the best decision? He thinks he made the best decision. Look, it's very difficult to say. I agree with you. He should have thrown the ball in the dirt. But, Hank, I'm not trying to defend Matt Allen or anything, but when you're in the moment, right? Right. For the moment. You have to make a decision. You don't always uh-huh. do what's best because when you're actually true. when you're actually in that position, uh-huh. you react to it very differently yeah. than somebody else who's watching it on television. Uh-huh. So, look, this was no ordinary Giants team. It was tough to see it end on a poor special teams play and a controversial call. And we'll you know we'll show it one more time. Rich Seibert looking for a flag. So was Luke Pettigrew and Marcellus Rivers. The whole giant sideline was furious. Here's Jim Fossil yelling at the officials. He was not happy with that. Um, you know, I've got to say, Hank, Kerry Collins had an outstanding performance in this game. There he is, 29 of 43, 342 yards, and four touchdown passes, three of them hauled in by Amani Toomer, who had eight catches and 136 yards. And, of course, our man Tiki, who had 177 total yards and one touchdown. Tiki Barber had a fantastic season, a fantastic game. I really like the way the Giants played offensively. I thought they were good for three quarters. The Giants dominated. In all fairness, though, a lot of people argue the Giants, to this day, they should have still advanced to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in round two. They should have. Yeah, for sure. Oh, without a doubt. You have a 25-point lead. That's totally unexcusable. And I think besides Trey Junkin, like, I feel like I'm ESPN with their old show, Top 5 Reasons You Can't Blame. You might or might not remember that show, Tom, but I I think another thing that doesn't really get mentioned, and this is kind of something I mentioned numerous times on this show, the Giants sat on their lead yet again, and this time it came back to haunt them. And we mentioned earlier in the show, too, didn't Jim Fossil, like, not play Tiki as much in the second half? I think because he wanted to like, um, you know, rest him for the next week against Tampa Bay. For some reason, he decided to rest Tiki Barber. They thought they were playing Tampa Bay, especially after they found out that the New Orleans Saints had won their game. Right? Was it it the Falcons or the Saints? No, it was the Falcons. Falcons. They beat Green Bay in Lambeau, which is the It was actually their first loss in Lambeau, fun fact. Correct. (laughs) You would be correct with that, Hank. What was very odd about this game, Hank, the Giants and the 49ers deadlocked with 446 yards in total offense for each team. Uh Yardage. The Giants defense had zero sacks again on Jeff Garcia. The Giants failed to sack Jeff Garcia in the season. Uh Do you think this was part of the stone effect? Absolutely. Like I said, there was only one guy on that team who really could have known what giant defenders do because he practiced a lot of those guys in training camps, et cetera, et cetera. How, how else would they have been able to contain the defense? It's got to be someone that they that has been very familiar with the Giants for a number of years. Yeah, without a doubt, it's the Ron Stone effect. 
I definitely agree with you there, Hank, but I do think at the same time, uh, I don't think one player could exactly change the whole atmosphere, but I think Ron Stone definitely played a big factor in that. Um, right, but like I, think, I said, he, he so knew the team pretty well. One week, Giants fans are smiling at this play, Shockey taking the ball away from Brian Dawkins, and then the next week, it's all about Rich Seibert and the P.I. that should have been called. And, Hank, after this game, Rich Seibert kind of fell off the map for the Giants for a while. We did not see him for a couple of years. He went back to a backup position, especially since the Giants drafted Dave Deal in 2003. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, Trey Junkin blamed himself and immediately retired after the game. Yes, if Trey Junkin makes a good snap, this play does not happen. But you cannot fully blame a 41-year-old no. long snapper who has an excellent reputation on a couple of bad snaps when he's only – he was previously retired and he's been on the roster for five days. If you're head coach Jim Fossil, you know what you're getting into with this. There's a lot of uncertainty here. I put a little bit of a blame on Jim Fossil. Uh, I think at this point you need yeah. to look within your own roster and use a guy – who's been on the team the whole season. For example, make Jason Whittle the long snapper. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a good decision. The NFL came out and said they got the play wrong. Yeah. Immediately after the game. Uh, the Giants and the Niners, Hank, they have historically a mini rivalry playing in big playoff games. Uh, the Giants do get their revenge nine to ten years later in the next playoff game the two would play. But – this one was one for the ages, despite, you know, being one of the most devastating losses in Giants history, Hank. Considering what was at stake, obviously, I think many arguing the Giants would have had a better shot at the eventual Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks. But we got to choose to remember the positives here yeah, of this season. Sure. There were a lot of positives of it. Michael Strahan with the 11 sacks. Terry Collins with the 4,000 yards. Those are just a couple of things that I look at. Amani Toomer with the 1,300 receiving yards. Uh, Hank, for you, what, what is your favorite moment of this season? I think my favorite moment was when probably just the four-game win streak just to really get into the playoffs. And I would also have to say the Jeremy Shockey catch right at the end of the season because that was that was another rival where – if you look at Giants history, usually close games like this against Philly go the opposite way. And unfortunately, we'll get into those later on in the series. But I, I just I would have to say their fight just to get into the playoffs because their December that year reminded me in a way somewhat of the, two, of the 2000 December. And there's another example of Jim Fossil winning the big games when it mattered most. And as I said, he also had a really good track record against Philly. He only had like, what, two or three losses. And I think the year before was really the first time he even lost a game against that team. You bring up a good point. I think the most memorable point was uh, most memorable point of this season was definitely the touchdown catch by Shockey. But I think the win against the second win against the Washington Redskins. You know the Giants are coming off a two game slide against two AFC uh, opponents and the Texans and the Titans. Their backs are against the wall. They have to get a win. They beat a classic division rival in the Washington Redskins, and they go on a four-game win streak. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, Hank, this was a season where uh, the Giants ended with some unfinished business. But now we're going to have a little bit of fun. We'll go through this quick, and we will go through our top ten players list. 
Um, and then at the end, I know we'll have a quick debate on something as well. So uh, why don't you take the reins and uh, you will go first. All right. Let me just pull it up here. End to one. All right. So to start this list off, I'm going to go with a guy who is a pretty good defensive player. And the Giants on this, this year had some a lot of really good defense players. Very underrated. He had about 88 tackles and some big and some big sacks. I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Short, number 10. 88 tackles. Brandon yep. Short. And number nine, I'm going to go with one of the guys that I consider an unsung hero. His blocking as the sixth offensive lineman Ooh. was very important in getting really? – I would say his blocking was important in years past and probably this year too in getting Kerry Collins and Tiki Barr to have good seasons. I'm going to go with Dan Campbell. I know it's kind of bold, but I think a lot of people really underestimate the impact that he had on the Giants. Yeah, you know, Dan Campbell was a great blocker, Hank. Uh, wow, number nine on your list. I'm definitely a little surprised by that. But, you know, I can't make any complaints. Definitely uh, a respectable pick, and he definitely was a big factor on this Giants roster. Dan Campbell at number nine, nice one. You threw a curveball at me there. Yep. Yeah, no, I wanted to give a shout-out to one of the unsung heroes, and I, th- I definitely think he's worthy. And number eight, I'm going to go with uh, one of the best players in the secondary. That would be Sean Williams. Sean Williams made a transition from uh, strong safety to free safety in 2002, Hank. And I definitely think he was a big reason why the Giants got as far as they did. I thought he was the captain of the secondary, to be honest with you. A lot of young bucks back there. And Sean Williams had the most experience outside of Jason Seahorn. All righty, and um, for my seventh best player on this team, I'm going to go with another one of the key members of their defense. Let's go with Michael Barrow. He had, I believe he was one of the team leaders in tackles, if I'm not mistaken. 110, yes, yeah, number 110. one. Yeah, definitely one of the more underrated players on this team. Had to, had to throw him right around this area. And then number six, this is a guy that I was actually flirting with putting in the top five, but given the other players that were ahead of him, I had to settle with him being at number six. Eight sacks and a guy who really stepped up in the absence of Keith Hamilton. Let's go with number 90, Kenny Holmes. Kenny Holmes, Hank, a fantastic player for this Giants squad. I love this pick here. Um, yeah, you know, you can't make a top 10 list on this team without including. Uh, Kenny Holmes, man, love this pick. There he is again. Oof. Yeah. Kenny Holmes. At number five, let's go with the rookie and the all-pro who really had a big impact as the games got bigger late in the season. Number 80, Jeremy Shockey. I know, unlike you, I'm not as big a Shockey fan. I kind of have mixed feelings about him, but I cannot deny how fun he was to watch. And, yeah, Jeremy Shockey, big player and – how could, how could I not include him, given that big catch he had? Definitely a good choice at number five, I feel like. I agree with that, yeah. And number four. Now, this is, real, this is the area where I really had a tougher time deciding. I think this guy, you could even make the case, probably should be higher. But you know what? Considering the impact the other guys had, I definitely have no problem putting Kerry Collins at number four. What, what more can I say? You know, this was what, probably his best season with the Giants, 4,000 yards. And, you know, he led the Giants on some big victories. Definitely one of the more underrated quarterbacks we've ever had, without a doubt. 
So, yeah, got to go with Kerry Collins. I like it. I like it. Yeah, Kerry Collins. I loved him. I, I might have him in a similar spot. <laughs> uh, number three, let's go with let's go with one of our all-time favorites here. Also, his best season, number 81, Amani Toomer. Amani Toomer, man, top three, moving up those chains. Love to see it, Hank. Love me. Now, this, these last two were a very tough call. I've been really debating these guys because if you look at, if you know pretty much your history of the Giants or if you know this team very well, I think you pretty much know who my top two are. However, for number two, and I was this close to putting him at number one, believe me, I'm going to go with number 21, Tiki Barber. This was another season where he started to improve. Sure, he did have a fumbling problem, but I still think without him, the Giants do not get as far as they do. Got to give it to him here. And number one, yeah, I'm not. Even, I'm going to sit. I'm going to spare you the climax. Number ninety-two, Michael Strahan. Yet another great Pro Bowl season and another great ten tackles. Another what was it? Ten sacks. Eleven. Eleven. Eleven sacks. sacks. You're right. And another season where he had like at least a good amount of half sacks too if i'm not mistaken he had at least half a sack hank in 10 consecutive games right strahan was a big part of this defense a key leader really hard for me not to put him at number one i like your list i gotta say i definitely have a couple things different but we will reveal mine before we uh before we get into the discussion so without further ado Number 10, similar to you, I have Brandon Short, number 53. He had 88 tackles on the season. I like what he brought to the table. Yeah. He also had three sacks from the linebacker position, and it goes unnoticed. A lot of the things that he did on the field, he was definitely one of the guys who was in the lineup often. Mm-hmm. For me, number 53, Brandon Short, trying to get a quick photo here of him. There he is. Number 53, Brandon Short. Number nine, uh, you might be surprised by this one. You have to include an offensive lineman on this list. And for me, number nine is Luke Pettigrew. Uh, Luke Pettigrew started all 16 games at the left tackle position. And a big reason why uh, Kerry Collins stayed upright a lot and Tiki Barber uh, was able to get as many yards as he did was the play of that offensive line. Seibert, uh, Bober, Whittle and Rosenthal were all new starters to the Giants in 2002. Luke Pettigrew was not. Despite his nine penalties, Pettigrew was definitely the anchor that made the offensive line work. I had to have at least one alignment on this list. I almost had two. My honorable mention is actually Rich Seibert. He's not on this list. Yeah. Another player who started all 16 games, a second-year guy. Number eight, like you, I have Sean Williams here. Number 36, the safety. Here he is. Look, a veteran in the secondary. Love me some Sean Williams. I think he was great. Had two picks on the season, and he had 92 tackles, the second most on the team, ahead of uh, guys like Short and Dahani Jones, only behind Michael Barrow. Like we said, a lot of those were in the backfield, not off of big catches. Sure. Uh, Speaking of number seven, I think you're going to like this one. I also have Michael Barrow here. Move those chains, ref. Yeah. <laughs> Move those chains. Uh, look, man, I mean, look, we can make fun of him all we want, but he was definitely a big part of this team. I think without him, the Giants don't get as far as they do. I really like Michael Barrow here at number seven. 
big number 58. Uh, again, he was around for 2003. He was great, but 2002 was really the season that I thought he was definitely a make it or break it type of player. Uh, you're going to have fun with this number six because I also have Kenny Holmes. Kenny Holmes, number six for me. Um, look, we talked about Kenny Holmes a little bit earlier, Hey, I think he stepped up big after Keith Hamilton went down, had some really big plays. Kenny Holmes at number six for me. There he is. Uh-huh. Minnesota game. Number five, ugh, Jeremy Shockey, pro bowler. Notice so far how we have a very similar list except for our number nine pick. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I threw you a curveball there for sure. You definitely did. Um, Ke- uh, I almost said Kerry Collins. Uh, Jeremy Shockey here is number five on my list. With that touchdown catch, there he is. Number four, Kerry Collins. I can't put him higher than number four because of his slow start to the season, the one touchdown and six interceptions through four games. However, I think without Kerry Collins, the Giants don't get to the playoffs. He was the reason why the Giants went hot, and they needed him those last four games. Shout out to Kerry Collins, who finished in the top six in passing with over 4,000 passing yards in 2002. Number three, ready for the debate, Tiki Barber. Wow. Barber not in my top two. I can't put a player in my top two that can't secure the ball properly in his sixth NFL season with nine fumbles. Hmm. Mr. Fumble, they used to call him. I love Tiki Barber a lot, Hank, but come on. Just look at that. Yeah, no. Hank? Tiki Barber had four fumbles in the Philadelphia game. Tiki Barber. Yeah, and one of them almost cost him the game. Almost lost the Giants the game. Uh, look, I love Tiki Barber. He's definitely, look, don't get me wrong. He's a top two player on the team. Yeah. However, if we're talking about top ten players on this particular team, I think we need to have him at number three because the guy I have at number two, which is very consistent all year, and I then miss a start. His name is well-dressed Amani Toomer. Amani <laughs> Toomer, 82 receptions, over 1,300 receiving yards. Look, there's a reason why Amani Toomer didn't make the Pro Bowl. It's because a lot of people, quite frankly, didn't know who he was. As we alluded to in the last show, he was well-known with the Giants, but he was not well-known with the rest of the NFL. And it seemed to stick that way for majority of his career for some odd reason. There he is putting his hands up. Come on, man. You kind of odd because you would think playing in New York would really bring bring out the hype on him. Over he had the third most receiving yards in the NFL, and somehow he still didn't make the Pro Bowl. Hank, we're gonna have a debate here in a moment, but Strahan's number one. This, oh, yeah. this is easy, man. There's no argument yeah. here. Without Michael Strahan, the Giants do not get as far as they do. We will show one last picture of Strahan showing off his gun. There he is, number ninety-two. <laughs> Michael Strahan, arguably, arguably the second best defensive player in Giants history behind Lawrence Taylor. Um, now we sit here and we debate and we show the graphic of our lists. We are going to show it. Here it is. So let me get rid of that ticker there on the bottom. Shockey and Sean Williams are the images, by the way. So number one. Four through eight and ten are the same. Nine, we each have a different guy, and then we switch two and three. What do you think? 
We have a very similar list, actually. I mean, it pretty much goes to show you how much like we really studied and looked at this team. I would say the reason, by the way, that I put Tiki ahead at number two, I think, yes, you bring up a good point, and you are not wrong. He did fumble a lot, and yes, that was that was a very big problem. Thankfully, Tom Coughlin would correct that later on. But I, Tiki Barber was also responsible for a lot of their wins, and he also, as we said, despite that four fumble, those four fumbles he had in that game, his 202 rushing yards, I think, were still pretty big in the Giants winning that. So I, di- I didn't want to really penalize him too hard. And at this point, it was probably his best season. Obviously, as we, as I mentioned, he's going to get better later on as we talk about, you know, the next season where we make the playoffs. But I, however, with that being said, I totally respect and understand your reasoning for putting him on tumor at number two. You you bring up that like this guy wasn't known, which is kind of ironic because you would think that playing in New York he would get all the hype for being a great receiver. But nevertheless, I think Amani Tumor definitely was criminally underrated, as I always say when talking about him. And underrated. <laughs> there there's no way <laughs> you make fun of me for saying that, but you know it's true. Oh, but yeah. with that being said, there's no way you can leave him off the top three players on your list for this particular team. Hank, I, look, I, I definitely agree. However, uh, I think Amani Toomer, he didn't fumble the entire season, and he always had a knack for moving the chains, and he had a lot of games where he had over 100 receiving yards. So I definitely think uh, that speaks volumes to how good of a player he was, and we're really only switching one slot here. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like, Tiki Barber is getting heavily penalized. I just think we're put, moving him down from two to three on a list because I think Toomer was a starter longer. Right. To be honest with you, when we look at this list, I mean, I think the debate, the only on paper, the debate is at number nine because you have Dan yeah. Campbell and I have Luke Pettigrew. Personally, as important as Dan Campbell was to this team, I think Luke Pettigrew, your left tackle, is one of the most important positions on a football team. True. I think he was the best offensive lineman on this roster, and I think that Luke Pettigrew uh, was a solid rock that led the way for the new regime to come in, guys like David Deal, mm-hmm. Ish Seibert, Sean O'Hara, Kareem McKenzie, those guys. Yeah. Sure. Chris Neen as well. I can't believe I forgot him, but – so there's our list, folks. Me and Hank have very similar lists. We're about to remove it in just one second and begin to do our show wrap-up. So, Hank, my last question to you is about Jeremy Shockey before we sign off here for the night. How much of an impact did Shockey truly have on this 2002 team? I would say that his, like, that his, like, really good – performance in the last week of the season was huge for the Giants going into the playoffs without a doubt I mean I look at the highlights and on paper you look at his touchdowns and you you might be shocked that he only had like two during that whole season but then you remember the way this offense was and Shockey didn't quite like it wasn't centered around Jeremy Shockey as we mentioned but with that having been said I totally think he earned his his all pro and his pro bowl selection and Without him, especially in Week 17, 
I don't know that this team makes the playoffs, especially when you consider the injuries that happened to all the wide receivers. And, and even in the Redskins game, when he was like triple covers, that opened up the wide receivers to being able to score like Amani Toomer. Here's the catch one more time. There's a look with face up, and there's a look from the back corner of the end zone. Shockey taking it away from uh, Eagles great Brian Dawkins. Jeremy Shockey, a fantastic rookie, loved him. Hank, the 2002 season was filled with ups and downs. It was a roller coaster, to say the least. Yes. It was the beginning of the end for head coach Jim Fossil. There he is one last time. Uh, 2003 was a very tough year, and Hank, one thing I'm going to bring up that I think you'll you won't like it, but you'll definitely agree with me. The Giants blew a lead late in the 2002 playoff game to the 49ers, and it was partially Jim Fossil's fault. Jim Fossil had a knack for getting too complacent with leads. We didn't just see it in 2002; we saw it in 2000, and we for sure saw it again in 2003. The Giants blew a lot of late leads that season, which led to their four and 12 record and the beginning of the end for head coach Jim Fossil. I really think that Jim Fossil should have gotten another head coaching opportunity after the Giants, but unfortunately he did not. Uh, once Giant, only a Giant, as a head coach at least. Well, well, Tom, I just want to say I complete – you said I might not like it. No, I completely agree with everything you just said. I, To this day, I still do not understand how he never really got another shot. I mean – I think he did coach offense coordinator for the Ravens too. Am I right? Yes, he did. And he did, he did coach some unknown league. And I think he was with the locomotives. He might've won a championship with them in the early, in the early 2010s or the late two thousands. Yes. So he, he did have some success. And by the way, fun fact, his son actually was the interim coach for the Rams when uh, Jeff Fisher got fired. John Fossil. Correct. But mm-hmm. nevertheless, I completely agree. Jim Fossil, had a bad rep- had a bad habit of sitting on leads, especially in the Niner game. And while yeah, I do agree that he was underrated, I think I think there, that game really was the start of his downfall with the Giants. And yeah, great legacy, but I completely agree. Yeah, I agree as well. I think the Giants had a great 2002. Unfortunately, they would miss the playoffs. And for the next two seasons and not return until 2005. So, Hank, our next show will be on the 2005 New York football giants where new faces took place. Some stayed the same, but a lot changed. And we will talk about that in a couple of weeks from now. But until then, Hank, I'd like to thank you a lot again for joining me tonight. The story of the 2002 New York football giants. Uh, Hank, any final thoughts? No, I had um, I pretty much had a lot of fun talking about this team. This is actually, believe it or not, one of the last teams I don't remember. So, two thousand five. From here on out, we're gonna you're pretty much gonna be having good help from my memory from these Giants teams. And Tom, I want to thank you again for having me on the show. I really enjoy talking about the Giants with you. And have and yeah, that's about it. It's always a pleasure. And Hank, from the way you know you've talked with the entire show, I guarantee you, everyone watching this would know or probably wouldn't know that you didn't know this team because it seemed like you knew it pretty well from everything you said pretty much. So uh, thanks again for that. But until then, on behalf of Hank and Dichter, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long, and we'll see you next time. You've been watching the story of the 2002 New York Giants. 
Good night, everybody.